0: Um, I'm really excited to be uh, kicking off our Psalms series today. Uh, The name of the series is Psalms, The Prayer Book of God's People. And uh, I'm really excited about this series. We've been anticipating it for a number of months now. Um, There is so much to be absorbed from the book of Psalms. And um, our prayer, our hope is that this series is a catalyst for you to dive into the Psalms personally. Um, There's only so much we can do up here um, with the book of Psalms, and so we want it to be a, a personal thing. Um, why did we pick the book of Psalms? Um, the, it's been really fun the past several years um, calling our summer series our Super Summer Sermon Series, and I'm a big dork for uh, things like that, for alliteration and uh, puns and stuff like that. So last year, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for our summer series, and I said, "Ooh, why don't we do a Super Selections from the Psalm Summer Sermon Series, And um, it was universally panned as a dumb idea. Um, And it was good. We did the the five solas last year, and that was that was the right call there. Uh, But the more I thought about it, the more I thought that um, if we did a series on the Psalms, it could be really beneficial um, to us as a church. Um, Over the last three years or so, the Psalms have really changed my life personally. Um, Kind of, they've shaped my view of God's character. And they've given me something to cling to through a variety of life circumstances. And um, what I like about the Psalms is they take the truths that we believe about Jesus, um, the things that we study, the things that we memorize, um, and they connect them practically to everyday life. It's like we we see those things lived out in the lives of real people. and uh, as I've been through this process and thought about this, I've heard a lot of stories from other people who have had similar experiences, um, and I've been able to explore a little bit of the Psalms. They have a long history of doing this, uh, a long history of, um, where am I? Uh, a long history of allowing God's people, giving God's people something to use to make sense of life, to make sense of what's happening to them um, in light of of who God is. So the Psalms were designed for this. Uh, To connect our belief about God to all of life And to awaken our emotions All of our emotions In view of God's character Um, And also the the added bonus of the psalms Is that they stick with you uh, In the way that a great song does Or a moving film Um, They they stick with you Um, And the psalms have been doing this to people uh, To God's people for thousands of years So I'm excited about us as a church jumping in and doing that um, we planned this eight-week series to be an overview of the book of Psalms. Um, like I said, a jumping-off point for each of us personally. Um, in the original language, the Gospel of John has 15,635 words, and it took us 86 sermons to get through it. <laughs> so if we decided to preach through the entire book of Psalms, uh, Psalms has 30,147 words. So... Lord knows how long that would take. Um, so uh, so some, this summer is going to serve as kind of a, a jumping off point um, for us to dive in personally. Um, there is nothing new under the sun. So uh, there are a lot of great resources that um, I've drawn from for this sermon. And I'm going to share a lot of those resources with you over the next few weeks um, as we go through some of these things. I'm going to quote a lot of things. Uh, but if you want to do, do, do some uh, looking on your own, the Bible Project I think it's thebibleproject.com is the website. It has a lot of great information about the book of Psalms and just about every other book in the Bible, too. Um, Desiring God has some great sermons and books on the topic. Um, And there's some other commentaries out there as well that are good. So uh, before we dive in and discuss a little background about the book of Psalms and and why it is the way that it is, um, why don't we open our holy books and our holy apps to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm number 1 is where we're going to be hanging out today. Um, let's read from Psalm 1. I'll give you a second to get there. Psalm 1. Uh, I would encourage you all to, you know, have something with Scripture. If it's an app or your Bible or you have it written on your hand or scroll, whichever, um, to have it with you when we worship um, is uh, an important thing. So Psalm 1, uh, starting in verse 1, it says this, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked.'" For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and we thank you for your word. And uh, we pray that it would affect us today. Help us to gain an understanding of, uh, of the book of Psalms and to, um, Lord, make us curious. Make us curious about the book of Psalms that we would want to dive in and um, explore it for ourselves. Um, help us to know the blessing of delighting in your word um, and meditating on it day and night. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so point one is about the Psalms. Um, And uh, we'll talk about the authors first. There are 150 Psalms in this book. And uh, of those 150 Psalms, there were more than seven seven authors. And it was written over the course of 900 years. So a big swath of time here. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I I look at the Old Testament and I just kind of think of it as it all kind of happened around the same time. They were all kind of contemporaries almost, you know. I kind of think of it as one big lump, uh, but it's not. So uh, seven authors, more than seven authors over the course of about 900 years. Uh, David wrote the most of them. You probably know that. He wrote about 75, at least 75. Um, Asaph wrote 12. The sons of Korah wrote 10. Solomon wrote a couple. Uh, Moses, we've talked a lot about Moses lately. He wrote one. There was a guy named Ethan the Ezraite, which sounds like an indie musician from Brooklyn. But he, uh, he wrote one, uh, and a guy named He-Man, which I can only assume is the actual superhero, uh, wrote one as well. Um, but then there are a lot that are anonymous, so nobody knows really where they came from. Um, so 150 of them, lots of authors. It's an eclectic bunch of writers from a bunch of different time periods, uh, and this eclecticism is reflected in their psalms. I know this will surprise every single one of you, but this reminds me of the Beatles. Uh, because... Um, Specifically, the White Album, uh, which is uh, one of their their biggest and most famous albums. By the time that the Beatles recorded the White Album, this was in 1968, they had basically conquered the world musically, right? They couldn't go anywhere, you know, because people would mob them and murder them with kisses and trying to pull off locks of their hair, probably. Um, But they had conquered the world. Um, The year before this, they had put out uh, an album called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which if you don't know. Uh, it was like a landmark of recorded sound, and it's basically, if you've, if you've listened to any form of popular music over the course of your entire life, it exists because Sgt. Pepper happened. Um, so they changed the world with that album. It was kind of like the first concept album. They decided, okay, we're going to pretend to be this other band, and we're going to make an album as if we're this other band, right? And that was, you know, a, nobody had ever done that before. Um, so that's kind of where the Beatles had been. Um, and so the next year, 1968, they, they record the White Album. It's called the White Album because it's just, it's just white and it says the Beatles on it. Uh, and it's a completely different album. Uh, they, they showed a completely different side of themselves. At, at this point, there was a lot of tension within the band. They'd been a band for, I don't know, 10 years or so, almost 10 years. Uh, and they, they weren't really getting along very well. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of fame. There were a lot of people trying to get at them. And so they were fighting a lot. Um, So some days when they were recording this album, they'd all be in the same room, jamming on a song, working on a song, whatever. Other days they'd be really mad at each other uh, and working in separate studios and as if nobody else in the world mattered and they didn't care about being a Beatle anymore. Um, So this is reflected in the album. You see 30 different sides of the band. Um, It's a double album, by the way, 30 30 songs, which is a a lot of songs. Um, And so you see 30 different sides of the band Um, sometimes working as solo artists, sometimes working together, uh, sometimes working on a love song, sometimes working on a blistering rock and roll number, uh, sometimes they're working on something with a vast, you know, lush orchestra, sometimes they're working on something really experimental and weird, um, Yoko Ono even sang a line on one of the songs, which had never happened before. So it's a very, very, like, wide variety of songs, uh, within this album, And most days this is my favorite Beatles record because it showed so much of who they were as individuals, uh, who they were going to be as they got older, um, who they were growing into, and I love that. Uh, So it wasn't a concept album like Sgt. Pepper was. Um, It was kind of its own thing. But the thing about the White Album is that it came, the original record sleeve, when you opened it up, it came with four giant photos of each member of the band. And that's kind of what the White Album was. It painted this picture of who these four guys were. They're four completely different guys um, but they're forever linked with this bond of having been in this band together and changed the world together. Um, and and that is the concept. The White Album paints this picture. And so the book of Psalms is the White Album of the Bible for me. Uh, it paints this huge picture of God and humanity, and it reflects all of these different authors from all of these different time periods. Um, and that's interesting to me. You get to, We get to see a lot of Personality. A lot of times in the Bible you see somebody's telling a story, and you're focused more on the narrative of the story. But this we really get to see a lot of personality. Um, That's interesting to me. Uh, The structure of the book of Psalms reflects the purposes um, for assembling it, uh, which were instructing God's people about God, about man, and about life, um, teaching us to pray as we strive to obey the Scriptures and as we wait for the fulfillment of the Messiah's kingdom. Um the collection is divided into five books, which you may have noticed before, kind of randomly you'll see book one, book two, book three. Um and each book ends with a similar doxology. Uh it, it ends with, May the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever and ever. Amen. Um this method of organizing the Psalms was a deliberate attempt to mirror um the five books of the Torah, um, the law that uh was given to Moses. Um And so the Torah is used, the word Torah is used to refer to those five books of the law. But it's also, generally, it means just instruction or teaching. Um, And uh, so in Psalm 1, when it says, uh, which opens, Psalm 1 opens the whole thing. Obviously, it's Psalm 1. um, It opens with, you know, this uh, verse that says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So when he's saying law, he's not just meaning, you know, the Torah. It means All of the instruction of God. Blessed is a man who meditates on the instruction, the teaching of God. Um, And so that's the book of Psalms was designed to kind of be a new Torah that points back to the original one, right? Um, It uh, is a tool for meditating upon all of God's instruction, and it is itself teaching from God, instruction from God. Um, A prayer book for us, a guide to connecting God's instruction to every part of life. Um, And Psalm 1 says that the person that does this is blessed. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. So it's kind of the new Torah. Um, The book of Psalms is often called the Bible's hymn book, which is only partially true. Um, A lot of these poems ended up being used by the choirs in the temple, and you see some little uh, inscriptions at the beginning about, you know, for the choir master or to the tune of whatever. Um, But uh, not, not all of them were. Some of them were just poems that were written um, by people. And, and you'll read some of them and you'll think, Man, is this, this is a hymn book, this is a weird thing to be singing, you know. Um, but So some of them were kind of hymns that the choir sang, some of them were just poems. Um, but the, the songs and the poems were assembled to awaken our emotions to God's truth. Um, The book is designed to carry, to express, and to shape our emotions. And sometimes we get nervous about emotions because emotions can be deceitful, right? There's that verse that says, The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it, right? It's hard to trust our emotions. But the book of Psalms is designed to awaken our emotions, but in a godly way, in a a, a scripture-informed way. Um, John Piper uh, said this about the poetry of the Psalms. He said, If you read the Psalms only for doctrine... You're not reading them for what they are. They're psalms, songs, poetry. They're musical. And the reason human beings express truth with music and poetry is to awaken and express emotions that fit the truth. Uh, Art, music, and poetry have a unique ability to capture what we think and what we feel in a way that we can't always articulate in plain language. Uh, Some days I, I don't know how to explain to you how I feel, but then I'll hear Tom Petty's Wildflowers album, and I'll be like, that's how I feel. You know, like, and that's, that's hard to articulate, but like, that's how I feel. Or uh, there's an old hymn called, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Like, I'll hear that, and that's how I feel. I don't, I don't really have words to express it myself, but that's how I feel. Um, and so the Psalms can do this for us. They have that, the power that, that art has. But beyond that, it's not just art. It's the inspired words of God. So it has that, that, um, that effect on us that, that great art does, but it has that effect on us that the Word of God does, that it changes us, that it is infallible. We can trust it. There are a lot of great songs that are super fun that you can't really trust, um, but the Psalms can be trusted. The Psalms should be trusted. Um, they've got the emotional power of art and the infallibility of God's Word. Um, John Calvin said this about the book of Psalms. I love this. I think this is going to be on the screen. Um, he said, I've been accustomed to call this book an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Like that's, that's genius. It's totally true. For there is not an emotion of which one can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. And they call, or rather draw, each of us to the examination of ourselves in particular, so that none of the many infirmities to which we are subject and the vices with which we abound may remain concealed. So, the Psalms are this really expressively human part of Scripture. They show the human condition uh, honestly beauty, agony, hope, grief, um, and then they open those places up um, to let the light of Scripture shine on them, right? And that's the idea. It it shows who we are. We see ourselves like we're looking in a mirror, um, and it lets the the Word of God shine on us. Um, Another quote from John Piper he said. In the Psalms, when we read the Psalms, we touch pillows wet with tears. We hear and feel unabashed cries of affliction and shame and regret and grief and anger and discouragement and turmoil. But what makes all this stunningly different from the sorrows of the world is that all of it, absolutely all of it, is experienced in relation to the totally sovereign God. Uh, the poetic expression in the Psalms proves that God doesn't mean for us to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and let go and let God and whatever kind of cliche uh, you want to slap on it. it. It shows that God understands. Oops, there we go. You said not to mess with it, and then I did. Uh, it shows that God understands and does not condemn our emotions, our struggles, or our doubts. He doesn't condemn those things. Instead, through the Psalms, he teaches us how to experience those things in light of his sovereignty. Um, and this is a blessing. It, it, it doesn't neglect the truth of what, hap- what is happening in life and tell us to just be positive and encouraging and happy. Um, we learn how to experience um, all of life in light of God's sovereignty. Um, one of my favorite songwriters, uh, Sandra McCracken, said this about the Psalms. She said, the Psalms teach me that I can be safe in his good providence, even when everything around and within me feels like chaos. When we hear these ancient words, we are reminded that we are not alone. We are not the first to feel what we feel. There is perspective and humility and honor in joining together with those who have gone before us. We are also reminded that we will not be defined by our present circumstances, but by the mercy of God, who has committed himself to the full restoration of all things. So when we understand the psalms clearly, they give direction to our emotions um, and to our response to the circumstances that life throws at us. Um, As I was thinking about how to explain kind of the main themes in the psalms, um, I thought it would be helpful to use the example of a painting, you know, because in a painting you have stuff that happens kind of in the front and in the back, and I was like, okay, that'll be helpful to explain the themes. And so I found this painting uh, by Vincent Van Gogh. Um, You can put it up there on the screen if you want. Um, There we go, yeah. So I found this this painting of Vincent Van Gogh, and it's beautiful. And I was like, okay, it's got some foreground and some background, and this will work. But the more that I looked at this painting in particular, the more I realized realized that it kind of reflects some of the specific themes um, in the Psalms. Um, So we're going to look at this painting and kind of use it as uh, an object lesson uh, for understanding the psalms. So, um, just leave this up here, but the, your second point, if you're taking notes, the first one was about the psalms. Second big point is the big picture of the psalms, um, and all of these will be up here after we move the painting, but I want to leave that up there for a while. Um, so, the big picture of the psalms is point two. Uh, this painting is from 1888, and it's called The Sower. So, if you look at it, you got this fellow in the front here, um, clearly sowing seeds, right? Um, he's in a field, he's sowing seeds, um, there's some birds over here who are probably trying to eat some of the seeds, I imagine. Um, behind him, you've got this field that looks like it's already growing something. Uh, I don't know what that's supposed to be, but it looks like he's growing something. Um, then back over here, you got this, uh, farmhouse, with some trees. You've got, I don't know what that is out in the distance there. It almost looks like a city from a distance. Um, but it, that was, this is in 1888, so I don't know that there would have been buildings that tall. But anyways, there's something out there, right? Uh, and then filling the whole frame is the sun. Uh, I first saw this and I thought maybe it was the setting sun, but it seems more likely that he would be planting in the morning. So maybe that's the rising sun, filling filling the frame there. Um, So let's talk about first the background of the Psalms. This is A underneath point 2. A is the background. Um, So not all poetry is written to instruct, um, you know, uh, call me maybe perhaps. Not really written to instruct. Shake it off. Not written to instruct. Fun. Fun songs, but not written to instruct. Um, but the Psalms were written to teach. They were written to instruct. Um, and um, the background of the painting that is the book of Psalms um, is truth about God, about humanity, and about life. Uh, the Psalms portray a vivid picture of God's character. Righteousness, justice, steadfast love, faithfulness, power, wisdom, and sovereignty. And we see that character recounted in songs about God's acts of creation, um, about his dealings with Israel throughout history. Over and over and over and over again, there are psalms that talk about what we are going through in Exodus right now, about God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm rescuing his people from, from Egypt. Um, so we see God's character displayed uh, talking about the history uh, of Israel. Um, so think of God's character as the sun in this painting. Um, We exist in the reality that is illuminated by who God is. Um, His unmatched, unchanging, holy character is the light by which we see every circumstance of life, in history or in the present moment. So that's God's character back there, shining, giving light to everything else. Uh, Another theme here is the human experience displayed against the backdrop of God's character. Uh, John MacArthur said that the Psalms deal with living real life in the real world broken confessions of sin, unbridled joy and gratitude, aching fear and grief, and unshakable confidence in the Lord. All of these coexist in life. Uh, there's a tension between our temporary earthly reality um, and the reality of eternity. They, they don't always get along very well, at least not in our minds. Um, but the Psalms don't minimize one or the other. They don't just say, well, honey, today's bad, but God's still on his throne, so you just buck up, right? The Psalms don't do that. Uh, the Psalms also don't say, thoughts and prayers. You're going to give me thoughts and prayers? How about you, you, you do something right now in real life, you know? The Psalms don't do that. The Psalms acknowledge the reality of both of, of these ends of things and kind of exist in the tension. Um, and that's a blessing. MacArthur said this. He said, Without denying the pain of the earthly dimension... The people of God are to live joyfully and dependently on the person and promises standing behind the heavenly and eternal dimension. Um, and if we do that, we see all of life as an occasion to express ourselves and worship toward God. If we if we look at uh, the hard days as curses or as you know not as if God is not present or God does not care for us that day, then we won't see that as an opportunity for worship. Uh, but we should because it is. So that's kind of what's happening in the background. We've got God's character, and uh, you've got this, the, the field there. It's, the stuff is already growing there. You can kind of think of maybe, um, maybe what God has done in your life already, how God has demonstrated himself to you um, in your life. There's the, the house there. Maybe he's giving you, you know, a place. You have a place. You have a start. You have things going on in life. Um, and his, um, his character is giving you light. Uh, and then we get to the foreground. Point B under here is the foreground. Um, in the foreground, we see the more obvious themes of the Psalms uh, that come up again and again. And these are the themes that we're going to be exploring over the next eight weeks, seven weeks after this one. Um, so think of these like, uh, like our dude in the front. Um, the first one underneath the foreground is striving to be faithful to the Torah. That's number one there under the foreground. Striving to be faithful to the Torah. Uh, And like I said, when we say Torah, we don't just mean the first five books of the Bible. We mean all of God's instruction, all of God's teaching. Uh, Psalm 119, uh, verses 9 through 11. If you want to jot these down, you can look at them later. Um, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, uh, says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? Or an old man, or a middle-aged man, or a woman, or a child. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because that's what happens when we let Scripture um, infiltrate us. So his word is a lamp to our feet. And because of Christ's finished work on the cross, we can strive to be faithful to him. Without Christ, we cannot be faithful to God. But because of Jesus, we can. Um, And so that's one of the main themes, striving to be faithful to the Torah. Uh, The second um, is anticipating the Messiah. That's a theme we see again and again. Some of the Psalms are direct prophecies of Jesus' life and death. When Jesus was on the cross uh, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was asking God that, but he was quoting a psalm. Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, And uh, over and over again, uh, the book of Psalms, he quoted the book of Psalms. Um, And so uh, some of them are direct prophecy of Jesus and some of them, of his earthly life and his ministry that already happened. And some of them are prophecy of what will happen when he comes and he establishes his earthly kingdom. Um, Psalm 2, verses 6 through 9, says this. It says, "'As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. "'I will tell of the decree. "'The Lord said to me, You are my son. "'Today I have begotten you. "'Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage.'" and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Uh, so our king will return. So uh, a big theme throughout, um, throughout the Psalms is anticipating the Messiah, waiting for his kingdom. Uh, number three under this point, uh, a third main theme that we see is lament and praise. Kind of the contrast between the two. Lament and praise. So Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. It, it says this, How long, O Lord, Will you forget me forever? Think about that question for a second. Will you forget me forever? You're looking at God and you're saying, Will you forget me forever? That, that seems a lot of times like something we don't have permission to say to God. You know, like we don't have permission to say something <clears throat> that real and that honest. But the book of Psalms does. Um, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? i <clears throat> take a sip of water here. So you see honest, real, heartfelt complaint and lament. Um, but it's not just hopeless lament. There is a lot of hopeless complaining and lament in the world. If not, just get on Twitter and scroll a little bit. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot of hopelessness. Um, and... Um, In the book of Psalms, we see lament, but we see lament that is leaning towards praise, that is headed towards praise. It's never lament that is not going anywhere. It's never lament that says nothing will ever change and everything is hopeless. It's lament that leans toward praise. So uh, we, we see Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's like, it's like saying, remember, look behind you. Remember that field. You know, there's birds sitting here trying to eat up the seed that you're sowing. And uh, you're hot and you're miserable and you're not sure that these crops are going to grow. But look behind you. Look at what God has already done and don't forget that. It's okay that this isn't good or maybe this isn't going well, that today is a bad day. It is bad. Yes, it is bad. And God loves you. And God is for you. And God will bless you and will see you through to the end. Um, So the the fourth kind of main theme is another contrast uh, of faith and hope. So number four underneath the foreground is faith and hope. We're all really familiar with Psalm 23. It says in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing. I'm just kidding. Um, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it's, it's not saying that God, you know, if God's blessing you, then he keeps you from evil. No, he walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, that's faith. That is trusting in what is hard to see and hard to understand, but trusting it to be true. Uh, Psalm 56, verses 8 through 11 say this. You have kept count of my tossings, Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you not understand? God understands everything, every thought, every pain, every worry, every unsure moment. God keeps count of these things. Verse 9 says, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of David complaining about his enemies and -and so-and-so is trying to kill me and all this kind of thing. And then in the end, he says, what can man do to me anyway? I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid of what man does to me because even if they kill me, they can't take my soul, you know? Uh, So we see these ideas bouncing around in the foreground of the Psalms um, as God's character and life um, uh, illuminate everything that we're experiencing. Um, that's the backdrop for um, these ideas. Um, from what I've read, I don't think that Vincent van Gogh uh, would be considered a Christian. Um, but I found this quote uh, that he said about this painting, and I thought it really applied to, uh, to studying the Psalms. He says, um, he's talking about this painting, The Sower. He said, One does not expect to get from life what one has already learned it can't give. Rather, one begins to see clearly, to see more clearly, that life is a kind of sowing time, and the harvest is not here yet. And I was like, "Man, that's if that's not Christian, I don't know what is." That's 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 totally true of our lives, and I think it well illustrates um, this painting. Um, so there we go. All right. So that's that's that. If you want to go to the next slide, if you missed anything, um, everything should be up there uh, after this one in a minute. Um, Anyway, so with all this in mind, kind of the idea of, of where the psalms are coming from, um, the main themes, uh, both the background and the foreground, and kind of the, the frame that we're operating under, uh, let's look back at Psalm 1 and, and, and study it together. Um, so point 3 under here is going to be the shaping power of the psalms. And Psalm 1 illustrates this. It illustrates the shaping power of the psalms. Uh, this phrase is not original to me. Um, I got this straight from John Piper. Um, once we had kind of planned out the series and decided kind of where we wanted to go with it and how we wanted to, us to respond as a church to this sermon series, um, I was doing some research online, and I found that John Piper did the, basically the same thing with his church about 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, okay, good. So this is a good idea. <laughs> uh, you know, if somebody, if somebody smarter than you um, or has been around a little longer than you has a kind of idea, you, okay, it's, maybe this isn't a, a terrible, uh, bad idea. Um, But uh, he went through uh, the book of Psalms over about six or eight weeks with his church. And kind of the theme was the shaping power of the Psalms. Uh, But let's look at verse 1 of Psalm 1. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Uh, So it kind of brings up the idea of influences. Influences. Uh, and these first influences seem to be evil influences. Uh, Charles Spurgeon saw this verse as kind of a progression, like first taking counsel from the wicked, just kind of letting, that, letting some ungodly influences into your life without really checking them, without really putting any limits on them. Uh, and then that leads to standing in the way of sinners, kind of joining the throng, not really participating, but not really objecting either, just kind of being around Um, And then uh, that leads to sitting in the seat of scoffers. We were actually resting in the wickedness that the world offers. Um, He kind of saw that as a progression. I don't know if there's really an identifiable progression there or if it's kind of like a poetic device. Just saying the same thing a number of different ways. The Psalms do that a lot. Um, But regardless, the verse calls into question our influences. What are the primary influences in our lives? Uh, is it the never-ending talking heads of cable television or uh, the endless scrolling outrage of Twitter or uh, fear-mongering talk radio or just the triviality of Facebook and, and videos of uh, bears jumping up and down and, uh, you know, uh, cats going swimming and stuff? Uh, you know, um, uh, do we is, – is, is one of our big influences hours of binge-watching on Netflix – uh, or, or whatever, we, whatever we want to put in that, that slot, what primarily influences the things that we think about and what influences how we think about those things? Um, if we take an honest look at our life, a lot of times there's just a bunch of just garbage that we, just, that we think about every day or, or garbage shapes the way that we think about the things that we think about. Um, who are the people that really have a say in your life? Who are the people that you are closest to? Uh, The psalm is very clear about this. It says, if our primary influences come from the world, void of God or worse, full of a skewed view of who God is, um, then there is no blessing there. If that's where our influence are coming from, we are not the man who is blessed. Um, It's actually a curse. It's the opposite. The man who is blessed is not being watered by the polluted rivers of the world. That's not the picture that this next verse paints. Um, Because that would be a very unhealthy treat. So in contrast, uh, B under here is life-giving influences. Um, Verse 2 says, instead of those uh, polluted, harmful influences being the things that uh, drive you and that shape the way that you think, uh, it says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law, his teaching, he meditates day and night. His primary influence is the word of God plain and simple. Everything else in life is filtered through God's instruction. Look at what verse verse 3 says. It says, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Like, think about that. Like, picture that in your mind. Picture a beautiful, like, summertime, beautiful, full-grown shade tree next to a river. You know, like, Prospering and full and strong and uh, uh, long-standing. You know, you ever seen a tree, you walk up and you're like, wow, this was probably planted before my grandparents were born. Yeah. You know, like, think of a tree like that. Um, that is what the man who uh, meditates on God's Word becomes. That is who we are. A person who delights in and meditates on God's Word becomes a strong, vibrant, spiritually beautiful, and prosperous um, person and is defined by the fruit, uh, we are defined by the fruit that we bear. This is the person that we seek by God's grace to become. This is also the kind of person we should allow into our lives as a primary influence. Instead of sitting in the seat of scoffers, we ought to be sitting in the shade of a tree planted by rivers of water. Be informed and influenced by the people that are faithfully following Jesus one day at a time. Share your life with these kind of people. This is the counsel that our souls truly need. This is what we mean as a church when we say we want to flourish relationally. These are the kind of relationships we want to have. These are the kind of people we want to be to other people. Um, When Christ saves us, we are made alive. Um, We were dead in our sins, and Jesus made us alive. And nothing can ever change that. But when he makes us alive, in many ways we are like newborn babies. And newborn babies have a lot of growing and learning to do. Um, I'll quote John Piper one more time about this. He said, So the question for the first Christians and for us was this. How does the new mind and the new heart, with all of their imperfect thinking and feeling, pursue the fullness of right thinking and the fullness of holy affections? We're newborn. We don't have these things yet. How do we pursue that? He said, One of the main answers of the early church was to immerse themselves in the Psalms. The Psalms is the most often quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. It was the song book and the poetry book and the meditation book of the church. Alongside the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, Psalms was the book that shaped the thinking and feeling of the believers more than any other. And so this is the reason that we are doing the Psalm series, to be shaped and formed by God's Word. To be, as our core values state, authentic, reproducing disciples who think biblically. Right? This, this is who we want to be as a church. Immersing ourselves in God's Word, particularly the Psalms, over time, forms us into that tree planted by the rivers of water. Contrast that with, um, with what it says in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I don't have much um, experience with um, farming and wheat and chaff and all that, but, you know, you got the little dandelion things that grow in your yard, and you you (laughs) blow them, and they just, they're scattered to the wind, right? All, say that again? Oh, yeah. All over the place, right? That is, that is... uh, Okay, let's not get into that. Um, But that is, that's what I think about. Weightless and, and useless and just gone. There's no strength in those things. You know, if the wind blows really hard, it's over, you know. Um, so this, these verses point out that the ungodly are not blessed as strong, vibrant, fruitful trees, but are the weightless dead chaff that the wind blows away. They will not stand in the judgment, right? Um, and I think it's important for us to remember for a second that this is where we came from, that this is who we were before Jesus, if you've been made alive in Christ, you used to be the chaff. You were dead and without hope. And this brings up a couple of points, I think, for us. One is don't be the dog that returns to its own vomit, right? This is this was our old life. This is who we used to be. Right. So why would we want to go back, Amen. right? The, and that's what we do. I mean, this is the cycle of, of, of human life. We go back to these things. We we're, we're out. We've been rescued by a, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and then we start complaining. and like, I wish we were slaves still in Egypt. Yeah. Like, why are we out here? Right? Let's not be that. Let's remember where we came from and, and not go back. We know the thing that will make us prosper. We know the thing that will make us spiritually healthy and joyful. Um, so let's not choose the fleeting pleasures that will be detrimental to us. Um, By God's grace, we should press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, The second point this brings up is uh, remember where you came from and be empathetic to the people that are still there. Um, Scripture is clear that we aren't supposed to just move off to our own little commune and avoid the world. Um, those voices, those verses talk about avoiding the influence of the ungodly, but they don't mean that we should sever all relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Um, That's not what it's talking about. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if if we tried to do that, we'd have to physically leave the planet because you're not going to, you're not going to be able to escape people who don't know him, people who are, you know, caught in sin. Um, But instead, we should put ourselves in their shoes And remember our slavery to sin. Remember our hopelessness. And have compassion for people. And act on that compassion. Um, This is what we say, this is what we mean when we say that we want to live missionally as a church. We want to be a part of the lives of those who don't believe. uh, And and we don't want to just be someone pointing a finger at them. We want to be a friend. We want to grow as a tree planted by the rivers of water so that we can give shade to the chaff that hasn't been planted and made alive by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Um, and I realize that image kind of falls apart there, when we're, but whatever. You get the point. Um, so verse 6 says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And we, just, we have to remember that. Uh, what, what influences we're allowing into our lives. Where are we planting ourselves? What are we watering ourselves with? Um, because some of the stuff that we try to water ourselves with will perish. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Uh, and that is comforting. The Lord knows our way, and he is with us every step. We are his children. Um, so this is where that leaves us. This is what we're going to be going through for the summer. This, is, this frames up. This gets us ready for what's going on for the rest of the summer. Um, but to really get this experience of the Psalms, it all comes down to each of us personally. So for these eight weeks together, um, uh, as a church, we are making a commitment to each read two Psalms every day. We're doing what now? We're going to make a rule? We're going to follow a rule? Yes. This is what we're going to do. We're going to read two psalms a day. Um, and this seems like uh, maybe it's a lot of reading, but it's not, really. Um, you, can, you can read both your psalms together uh, at one point in the day. You can have a morning psalm and an evening psalm, or a lunch psalm and a dinner psalm, or a pregame psalm and a postgame psalm. It doesn't matter. However you want to do it, it doesn't matter. The point is to immerse ourselves in the psalms for these few weeks. Um, this may sound like a ton of reading, but it's not. Okay, Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, and it's the longest psalm. I read it, and I read it like slowly, not like a speed reader, and it took me 18 minutes, okay? No other psalm comes even close to that, right? It took me 18 minutes. So um, most psalms you can read in under five minutes, and then you can spend some time uh, praying. We can, the psalms are a great starting place, a great way to frame your prayer life. Um, so you can read a psalm in the morning and pray about it. You can read a psalm before bed and pray through it. Um, and it won't take long. And if you get to a psalm that's long, well, just read one psalm that day. This isn't like a, like a, like a schedule. Like we've, I've done the, like the read through the Bible in a year thing before. And I always felt so guilty if I got like a week behind, you know? Like this isn't that, right? The point is for you to read two psalms every day. If there's a long one, just read one psalm that day. Um, if you miss a day, you're not behind because there, there's not a real schedule here. You're not behind. Just read another psalm the next day. You know, like, like read two psalms the next day. And you, you can't get behind. The point is to immerse yourself in the psalms. The point is not to make a schedule that you can't keep, um, some of you prefer more clear-cut schedules. Some people, some people like those sorts of things. There are a lot of really great uh, psalm reading plans online that you can find. You can just search reading through the psalms. You can find all kinds of reading plans there if you want to do that. Um, but the point is just to do it, to read the psalms, uh, to let them be a starting point for our prayers, and to see what it does to you, see what it does to us as a church. Um, and uh, if you read two psalms a day, then by the end of the sermon series, you will have almost finished the entire book of Psalms if you read two Psalms a day. Um, if you're an overachiever and you read three Psalms a day, you're going to finish the book of Psalms and have to start over again. So, you know, three Psalms is not unachievable, really, if you think about it. Um, but that, the point is just to get into it. Get into the Psalms and let them wash over you. Let them frame the way that you think about what's going on in your day. Um, and it'll change your life. I promise it will. Um, so I want to close, uh, today with the words of Jesus. Uh, it is possible to study the book of Psalms and not talk about Jesus and not mention Jesus. Um, and, and I've, I've, uh, in my research for the Psalms, I've come across people who, um, uh, read the Psalms just for their poetic value or read the Psalms, um, without acknowledging the truth of the New Testament. And that's a shame, really, because just like all of Scripture, Um, the Psalms point to Jesus as the true north of the whole map. You know, if if we lose Jesus, we lose the bearings of what the whole thing is about. Um, But Jesus spoke these words to his disciples in John chapter 15. And they echo the sentiment of Psalm 1. And I don't think that was on purpose. I think Psalm 1 was a very influential psalm to the Jewish people in this time. And so when Jesus says what we're about to read... Um, it connects on a deep level because they understand what Psalm 1 says. Um, But this is what, uh, what he says to his disciples in John 15. It says, "'Abide in me, and I in you. "'As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, "'unless it abides in the vine, "'neither can you, unless you abide in me. "'I am the vine, and you are the branches. "'Whoever abides in me, and I in him, "'he it is that bears much fruit.'" Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Jesus, um, may your joy be in us and may our joy be full. Um, I forget which psalm it is, but one of them says that um, in your presence... Um, There is joy and um, pleasures forevermore. And I pray that that we would remember that, that our joy would be full in you and that we would let your word um, remind us of that, that we would immerse ourselves in your word and be changed by it. Um, We thank you for the book of Psalms. We thank you that it shows such a clear, honest picture of life, that we don't have to put on airs, that we don't have to be fake. We can be honest and real. And you are present with us in those moments. And Lord, I pray that as we study this as a church, that you would um, show us more of your character, the great, bright, illuminating character. And um, I pray that it would change the way we live our lives. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.